been uh, continuing our series here on Advent, and so we prepare for the coming of Christ, and we've been looking through uh, the eyes of Mary, and specifically in Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. You know, uh, this time of year, as we've been saying every week, it's always just reminded of it, is that uh, it's difficult sometimes when we come even to church to feel like we want to be at church, or we want to even sing, or we want to you know, even uh, kind of have that kind of, well, I need to have that Christmas spirit, or I need to have smile on my face. Sometimes it's really hard. It's just being honest that it feels that way when uh, things are difficult, whether that's at home, or whether because of loss of life, or because of relationships, or whatever the reasons are. I uh, was reminded by that when I saw someone uh, (laughs) sent this message out as a reminder Kind of that old Christmas song, but they trying to change it a little bit. It says, "Oh, come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated," because it's Christmas is for the weary, it's for the messed up, for the broken. If your life is an Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. Uh, and I think that's such a, a good reminder for us as we uh, think about these things. Now, you might be here, and it might be a, a great season. It might be one where things are going really well, or things uh, are wonderful, and you do feel that, and that's okay. That's wonderful, too. That's, that's what we should want. And yet, it's okay that it's not that way, because Christmas is about Jesus coming in and entering into our darkness to, to bring the light of the world. In fact, it's through this ageless lessons of Mary that we saw even last week when we don't uh, really have clarity of life, we can see God clearly. That's what our hope is. That's what our prayer is. That you can see God even though that things around you aren't very easy to see. And so last week we talked about Him being mighty and holy, merciful, power, powerful and justice, provider, helper, even hearer. All those things are true, and yet in the beginning of that song, if we go back to Luke chapter 1, Mary recognizes that her soul is magnifying, worshiping the Lord, and then in verse 48 says, For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What we're going to look at and what we're going to see is, is how do people respond to God? How do people respond? Even if we say we believe in God, even if we recognize who he is, how do we respond to that? Mary's response is that she recognizes that there's something happening to her, not because of her, because of that humble estate, but because of who God is. That humble estate is kind of what we're going to look at here this morning. And the old truth of of what God says is that God opposes the proud and yet gives grace to the humble. Proverbs is the first to share it, uh, twice in the New Testament it's quoted, uh, specifically in James, talking about the idea that uh, God gives grace to the humble. This core belief and practice that humility and humbleness is where God responds and does something. Now think about Mary for a second. She's a nobody from a no place. She has no privilege, she has no power, she has no authority. There isn't anything about Mary that sets her up as something that deserves to get the favor of God upon her, and yet this is what is happening to Mary. God is blessing Mary, showing favor to Mary, and yet she knows that she is a nobody from no place. Another way that you'd hear it, especially in our day and age, is that she's uh, marginalized, disenfranchised. She isn't part of the the inner circle. She doesn't 
have the resources. She doesn't have the right name. She doesn't have all the right stuff. And yet, this is a great reminder of how God responds to people. You see, this core belief, this core understanding is that Christ comes to those who recognize their need and they can't save themselves. In fact, later on, as he's going to share this, he's going to remind us that, that the, the, the accounts of the nativity scene, you have the, the shepherds who were untrustworthy people. You have the wise men who were not trusting in what their position was, but seeking out the king. You have uh, just a, a countless of, of others. Joseph himself uh, are, are people that are coming with humility, and Christ is meeting them there. Later on in his life, 30 years from then, this moment, we have Christ entering into his public ministry, and he goes to the synagogue, and he's given this passage to read, and it just so happens to be Isaiah 61. Look at what he says here. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and regain the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of everyone were, the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Look at the, the type of people that this scripture was talking about. The poor, the blind, the imprisoned, the oppressed. All of these people are those that the good news came to. And the good news came to, to them and, and, and relieved them of these burdens that they had. And he's not just talking of a physical sense. It's not that the poor just became rich or the blind became see, the imprisoned were set free. But in, in a spiritual sense that they were met with their state of humility, found what they needed in Christ. In fact, he uses that term right there that the year of the Lord's favor. That year of the Lord's favor is in direct uh, connection to the year of Jubilee, which took place in the Old Testament uh, every 49 years, seven years of seven years. And it was the year of Jubilee that the, the nation of Israel would give back the land to the original owners. They would cancel the debt of those who were, were indebted. They would set the prisoners free. They would, they would do these acts of, of, uh, of freedom to the people to demonstrate the good news of who God was and that he sets us free. It was a celebration time. Jesus is saying that his life and his ministry is about setting people free, about giving sight to the blind, of, of, of letting people know that they are, are free from prison, that they are no longer have to be oppressed. In all these things, God is setting that free. Now, the one thing that Mary has and she recognizes in this moment is that she is no different than a blind person. She's no different than a, a prisoner. Like when you're blind, you don't need to tell someone that you're blind. You don't need someone to tell you that you're blind. You know that you're blind. You can't see. When you're in prison, you don't need to have someone tell you, well, you know, you, you can't go and do what you want to do. You know that because there's bars in front of you not allowing you to do that. Mary knew her state, and she recognized that she was just like everyone else in need of a Savior. You see, this humble state 
is something that is important for us to grasp, not just as something to, to make us humble, but it's an important state for the very foundation of us even coming to God. When I say that I need a Savior, I'm acknowledging I need someone to rescue me. I'm not just saying it's something that I, I need as kind of a, a, a little uh, topper on top of my ice cream, right? Like some of you love those, you know, sprinkles or jimmies, no matter where, where part of the country you are. Or, or maybe you like a little whipped cream or, or a little cherry on top. Like sometimes we think that's what God is in our lives, just a, a little topping on top of the, the, the ice cream of everything else we have. And I just need a little bit of God. What Mary is recognizing here. And what she's saying is that people that react to God and they recognize his holiness and his might and his power and his generosity and his mercy, they recognize they, they are in desperate need of God because there is nothing in them that can hold a candle compared to God. This humility is, a, is the very foundation of us even approaching God and, and coming to him. And Mary is grasping this idea. Yet, yet how do we practice that? How do we live out this life? How, how, do, we, how do we manage this? Is it, is it like a, you know, once a week kind of thing? We come and we got to recognize, okay, yeah, I need to be humble today because I need God. Uh, is, it, is it something we, we do every day? Like, we, you know, every day we brush our teeth. So every day we got we to gotta be humble before God. Like, like, how does this work? How does this play out? I think one of the problems when we think about this is that we kind of take stuff in parts and we don't grasp the whole of it. You see, this is a kind of famous quote you might have heard. It's first uh, used uh, by Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Now, the first part of it is really good. Because oftentimes when we think of humility, we think, well, I'm bad, I'm no good, nobody loves me, I'm not worth anything, I got nothing to offer, therefore I'm humble. That's, that's not humility. That's, that's kind of, kind of uh, forgetting the fact that God created you and God made you and God gifted you and gave to you many blessings and, and gifts to offer to people that you have value and you have worth. So the first part's really good. The second part, though, is a little bit of a problem. Because how do we think of ourselves less? You see, if we think of ourselves less, we're, we're, we're probably thinking of ourselves, say, okay, today I got to think of myself less. I got to think of myself less. I got to think of myself less. What are we actually doing, though? We're thinking of ourselves. And we try, and, and some of this might be because of just our culture and, and that kind of idealistic ideas that we have where we, we elevate uh, ambition and we elevate uh, hard work and we elevate these things that they're good. Don't get me wrong. It's good to have hard work. It's good to uh, have ambition. But we elevate them to a status of God-like things, and we think we can, we can work hard at everything, and we just get better at it. And so we think, well, I'm just going to work hard at being humble. And we think we can somehow create humility. And so we got people running around and they're purposely, you know, trying to act humble because they know humble is good. And yet they're not recognizing that humility isn't something we can just produce. 
It's not something you just say, well, I'm just going to be more humble, and then all of a sudden you have more humility. We can't produce it. You see, this is where we struggle with, because we want it instantly. We want, to, we, want to, we want everything in the moment. We want everything to be, to be exactly the way that if we just plug in these, these formulas, it will produce what we want. And humility is something a lot more complex than that. You see, Christ identifies humility with more about being with him and letting it shine through than what we actually do. Humility isn't about doing more, but I think it's about doing less and being more. Here's what uh, we, we find out. Here's how we do it. How, what do we work through? Well, C.S. Lewis tells us this. He says, if anyone would love to acquire humility, I can think or tell him the first step. And the first step is to realize that one <coughs> is proud. And it's a biggish step. That's kind of that old British language. Uh, two, at least nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. C.S. Lewis is starting out where Mary started out and recognizing there's nothing in her that, that can give or anything that can measure up to God and to realize that they are in desperate need of God. And, and what he's then taking is saying, and we, if we don't recognize that, then that's pride. And pride is something that's big in our lives that is going to creep in in ways we can't even imagine or think. And I've seen it over and over again. Even things that are good can turn into pride issues with us. I've seen it in, in, in the way that, that we talk, in the way that we act, the way that we, we, we condemn others or we think others need to be like us. Like, that's pride. That's a pride issue. When we think people have to do it the exact same way we do it, it means we think we have the 100% right answer on how to live life. And everyone has to look like me. And that's pride. Pride comes in all sorts and shapes in different ways. And we have to recognize it and we have to keep going back to understanding our state. And our state is we are blind, we are imprisoned, we are broken, we are in desperate need of a savior. And so I need to have that mentality. I need to have that realization. And so when I have that, then I realize that I need Christ. Here's how Paul tells us how, how we can do it and how we can gain that humility. Philippians 2 is kind of a famous little chapter about Christ and his humility, but it begins out by saying, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look only to the own, or not to their own interests only, but also the interests of others, having this mind among yourself, which is Christ Jesus. Now, when we read this passage, we might want to skim through verses 1 and 2, and we oftentimes go right to 3, and we say, well, I, I, don't need to be, I don't need to have ambition, and I don't need to be conceited, I need to think of others, and I need to be humble, and we go right to, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to get the, my willpower and my strength, and I'm going to do it on my own. It's almost like that old saying, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, it's kind of a weird saying, but it's one we use a lot. 
and we just say, we just got to be better versions of ourselves. We got to improve ourselves. We got to be better people. And again, it's making the focus about us. And we have to be better. Yet what Paul says is that it first comes from us having a realization that there is first something that takes place within us in Christ. And so he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any participation in his spirit, if there's any uh, uh, mercy and compassion that's given to us, what Paul says is you will complete it You will complete his joy. You will complete this process by having the same mind, the same love, the same accord, and one mind. It's not one mind. We're not talking about unity of of believers. We're saying one mind of Christ here. That if you recognize what Christ has done in your life, and if you agree in the Spirit, and if you recognize the love and the sympathy that's been given to you, you will then have the same mind of Christ, which will naturally just produce humility. You will naturally have it because you are in accord with Christ. You see, we don't want to necessarily do that part because that's, that's, that's being uh, authentic and exposed before God. That's being saying, God, I, I need to maybe, maybe slow down and do less and, 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 and spend more time with you. That means maybe I, I, I don't need to, 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 to go 100 miles an hour and I need to, need to just take some time and let Christ do work in me. You see, humility is a product of being in relationship with Christ. These things, encouragement with Christ, comfort in his love, agreement in his spirit, mercy that you've got you to know it's, it's first for you. That you need it. That, that you've been given to it. That it has uh, impact and significance into your life. And from that, then you complete Paul's joy or you complete the joy of of letting it be real in in the way that you treat others. Sort of like the same thing that, that James says in the fact that our works and our faith need to match together. It's like walking, okay? I take one step, but I'm not actually walking until I take the second step. And as soon as I take the second step, I got to take the next step. And so we go back and forth walking. Paul is saying the same thing. That, that you have humility when you recognize first Christ has given it to you and then you live it out as you think less of yourselves and give more to others. And as you do that more, then you come back to realizing you have everything in Christ and you keep walking at this pace and we complete his joy. You see, we realize Christ meets our need and then we complete the process by thinking of others more than we think of ourselves. It's not just something we, we add on. It's not just an attachment. It's not just a, something you put into your calendar or onto your phone. I'm going to create a humble list or I'm going to create a, a humble plan. It's something that says that you have been and spent time with Christ. See, what, what, what a great testimony that would be, right? What's that? That Mary is recognizing, even in this moment, that her life is going to be a testimony for generations to come. But Mary's testimony isn't about how wonderful Mary is. It's about that God has done something in Mary. Think how great your testimony would be when someone says, man, you're always thinking about someone else. 
And you stop and say, I am? I didn't even realize that. I'm just thinking like my Savior. I'm just in the same mind as my Lord. I'm just in the same agreement with the Spirit. I'm just in the same love that He's given to me. I don't even think about that because it's just natural because I know what has come and what Jesus has given to me. And so having this same mindset of Christ is what brings humility. This is what Mary was recognizing. This is why God responded to the wise men, to the the shepherds, to Joseph, to, to everybody throughout Scripture, is that God gives grace to those who recognize their need and then join in in the same mindset of Christ. And so we think about this. We say, well, how do we do it? Well, let me give you three ideas, just three thoughts. First, it's going to involve slowing down, resting, and practicing the Sabbath. These things are given to you to remind you of your need for a Savior, that you are not intended to be a super person, to go 24-7. You are not intended to, to, to find all your value and all your worth in what you do, but you are to find rest in Christ. You're able to to, to recognize the Sabbath is given to you as a reminder of of God and and his goodness into your life and that you find this wholeness and completeness in, in who Christ is. Now, for some of you, this might be hard because you can't turn off your emails. You can't shut your phone down. You can't just stop because if you had to stop, then you would have to maybe think and deal with some of the stuff going on in your own life, and you don't want to deal with that, so you just want to go 100 miles an hour. Well, uh, you're never going to grasp the oneness and mind of Christ until you deal with some of that stuff. For some of you, you've, this, this, is, this is maybe a, a big idea, and you, you know, maybe it's not the best thing for you to jump in it head first. Maybe you need to wade in the water a little bit. Maybe start slowing down by, by just taking a few hours, or, or just saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my phone in another room, or you know what, I'm not going to be on social media, or I'm not going to you know, spend all my time doing one thing. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop doing some of that stuff. We have to spend time with God to know the the mind of Christ and to then let the humility flow from that oneness with Christ. The second thing we need is we got to have someone good in our life who will speak into your life. If pride is such an issue that we don't even recognize it, we don't even see it, if pride can even creep up on good things in our life, and they, they can become God-like things in our life, we need people in our life that are, are going to speak into it, that are going to do it in a way that, that they love you and they care for you. Or sometimes I tell people, it's, it's like uh, we're putting you into a corner, but it's a loving corner. Because I don't want you to run, and I don't want you to fight back, but I want you to know that you're surrounded and cared for, and we want to we let you know some of these things. Like some of you need some people to, to, to call you out on some stuff. Maybe they've noticed that, that every time you get together, you just keep talking about yourself. Or every time that you post something, it's, it's a very arrogant, like I'm going to tell the world how to do and what to do. And maybe you just need to, you need to, need to stop that for a little bit. Like here's one thing I, I, I realized. I think I'm right all the time. I do. 
if I didn't think I was right, then I wouldn't keep saying those things. But I think I'm right all the time. You know what I found out? I'm not right all the time. And so, therefore, I am very, very cautious on trying to share my opinions because I think they're right because I wouldn't have them if I didn't think they were right, but I know I'm not right all the time. So if you ask me, I'll share them. I'll try to share them, but I don't try to share a lot. I don't post a lot because I don't want to share those things because I, I know I'm wrong a lot. And so we need people in our lives that are willing to come alongside and say, did you really need to say it that way? Do, are, you, are you really thinking of others or are you just thinking about your own self? Have you, have you thought about maybe how this affects other people? Like those are good questions and we need people in our lives to, to ask that in a, in a very loving way. Ultimately, though, we need to find our confidence in Christ. And we need to realize that when we have confidence in Christ, we need to lose what can be lost so that we gain what can never be taken. What do I mean by that? I think we got to be a lot better at losing. And just make sure that we know we're losing the things that really don't matter. Like you working another day of the week might gain you something in this life, but it's not going to matter. You taking that day off and you resting and having a Sabbath and, and taking your time to be in relationship with God, that's going to be something you gain and could be beneficial for eternity. Like sometimes we realize it's okay that you don't tell everybody your opinions, that's fine. You're not really gaining or losing in that moment. It's actually, there's some wisdom in that. You need to realize sometimes, you know what? I don't have to be the expert in, in a certain field or certain place. Like my value's not in what others say because I have my confidence in Christ. I know for me, oftentimes this, this can fall into the category of, of sometimes knowledge puffs up but it doesn't really benefit. Sometimes I have to realize it's not just about all the things I know, but it's actually, am I living in the mind and, and, and the oneness of Christ? That's the questions we're asking ourselves. And if I'm fully confident that in Christ I have everything, if I really agree with Paul and what he says in Paul 3 that everything else is garbage or rubbish compared to being with Christ and knowing Christ, if I really believe in that, that then, then I can let go of other things. My worth and value isn't in those things. It's in, it's in Christ. And I really think Mary has a, has a beautiful picture of this. That she's recognizing my value isn't in what, what society is going to see me as. My value isn't in either whether or not Joseph is going to stay with me or not. My value is in not whether or not I, can, I even have a plan on what's going to happen. My value is that Christ saw my humble state. And he is going to meet me in what I need. And everything I have is found in him. So let this be the, the lessons from Mary. Humility isn't just something I can create and produce, but it's a byproduct of being with Christ.